This is Adventures in Sound at the Premises Studios. Hello and welcome to Adventures in Sound with me, Anne Frankenstein. We're back this week with another bonus artist episode. In these episodes, we put the focus on an artist that we love and get them into the Folded Wing Studios while they're working elsewhere at the premises. If you haven't heard our previous episodes of Adventures in Sound, then listen back on your podcast app after this week's show. But on this week's episode, we've got Eska to pop into the Folded Wing studio to have a chat about her musical journey so far. She's an artist who's been described by Laura Mavula as the finest female vocalist in the UK, and her self-titled debut album was announced as a Mercury Prize Album of the Year in 2015. Adventures in Sound. I'm Eska. I'm a singer, songwriter, performing artist and producer. Pretty darling, baby, wait, then you call, you still home, you forget. Will you admit that this is only the beginning of it in the sad situation that we do? I grew up, actually I was born in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe and grew up in South East London. Our first home was in, in Blackheath and then we moved to Lewisham. The biggest influence uh, in my early years was my dad and his incredible record collection that had anything and everything from Quincy Jones, uh, Bob James... And then as we got older, you know, um, dad would start saying, hey, what, what records do you want me to buy this week? And so we would then contribute to that vinyl collection with, you know, whatever pop music we were into at the time. There was wet, wet, wet in there. I remember dad bought Madonna at Phil Collins, <laughs> but alongside, you know, Freddie Hubbard. And, you know, it was really quite, I, I guess, now, realising later on and encountering other people, that was quite peculiar. You know, people didn't have such a breadth of music that they were, you know, introduced to. But I also really loved Japan as a kid. My family and I, we were all, we always didn't quite want to be doing what everyone else was doing. And and my sister had discovered Japan and the sounds that they were using and also this peculiar voice and the androgyny of, of, of the band, all of it, I found really interesting. And no one was using their voice in that way. I thought it was really brave. in the Pentecostal church, charismatic movement, you know, I encountered gospel music for the first time.
I, you know, because it was really, I guess, the first time I was hearing and experiencing improvisation in music. You know, because I had a classical upbringing musically up until that point. And then suddenly hearing people improvise with their voice or, you know, start jamming. I mean, I, it, was, it was just, I never heard anything like it. I, just, I need this in my life. You know, my dad always grew up saying, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of music you, you get into, guys, you know, you always end up at jazz. And I'd say, no, I'm not going to end I'm at jazz. This <laughs> is just because my dad said it. But, but it was ironic then that I ended up in this, you know, avant-garde, progressive, a band that... It was using jazz, but other forms of music. It was this wonderful collision of, you know, hip-hop, contemporary jazz. Quite Sane was really, uh, it, it was the most mind-blowing music written by a band leader, and Anthony Tidd. And we were all, you know, either in our late teens, early 20s, by the time, you know, I joined. And so to be immersed in this music with people my own age you know with young people I, I I thought I had found you know uh this was it It also, you know, employed these mathematical ideas. So it was also interesting me as, as you know, studying maths, making these connections that I wasn't aware that music had this this level of intellectual capacity in it and technical capacity in it that young people my age were were using. <laughs> Being a maths teacher was really interesting because I don't. I, I, Unfortunately, the way in which the curriculum sets up maths, it, it, it doesn't help to make it the most exciting subject. Um, I was tolerably good at maths. You know, I, I did my degree. I didn't. I even did a master's, but that was more just to buy time, you know, while I was being a musician. I guess because of growing up, having a lot of maths in, in my life, but also music, it was easier for me to kind of see the, the relationship, you know. And I remember, I mean, even in A-level maths, just looking at... When you see a beautiful proof written down, it's like poet. It's like a poem. It's like poetry. Being able to play with numbers and shape and space dimensions in your head—it's a world of imagination. Maths, just like music, which is essentially, you know, it's maths in in the, the, what's math sounds like it's to me, you know. At the point that I knew I wanted to do my own music, I started writing whilst I was known to some extent within the industry, having done, you know, some quite key collaborations that give me a bit of a profile, not lots, but enough to not be completely unheard of. 
at the same time, because I hadn't done any solo work, I was kind of perceived as a new artist. So it was a really kind of <laughs> strange, but also fortuitous position because I wasn't kind of starting from ground zero and I hadn't released any music. So I was still being afforded the opportunity to kind of make my first statement. So it was really important that that first statement was very clear about the artist that I'm purporting to be. <laughs> By the time my Gatekeeper EP came out, the music industry landscape had, had already started changing rapidly. We were in a new era now. The digital age was firmly set. The way in which we were able to, an artist was able to interact with their fan base. You know, even the birth of the EP was, you know, it was relatively new. And it was great releasing that just because it enabled me to get a sense of the feedback I was getting from sections of the industry who thought they had an idea. Oh, yeah, she's a soul singer, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, no, hang on. She's a jazz singer, isn't she? Like, no, she does dance music, doesn't she? Um, no, hang on. Eska, uh, didn't she do that collaboration with, um, you know, Nitin Sawney? So, like, the thing is, it was such a variety and um, breadth of sources where people would kind of assume what kind of musician I was. It was, it, it made it all the more important that I made that statement very clear. I felt like, okay, great. I'd actually... I was clear about what I wasn't. I think the journey, my artistic journey, has been much more about being clear about what I'm not. And then whatever's left is whatever's left, you know. Dawning, crimson, just like the tide, solid ocean, shows behind. Head for the edge of the world when you finally push the boat out. Knowing only what you know now And all that you learn You'll have to forget Forget Just a handful of industry meetings were enough to put me off realising that I'm not really feeling acceptance from, you know, the, the industry side of things. I'm too much of an anomaly. I'm too old. I'm too something. I'm too... There are many twos, that, you know. So let me not deal with that side of things. I then decided to go the funding route. I pursued funding from PRS Foundation, uh, the Women's Fund, uh, Arts Council England, and then eventually... Being successful with those applications, the PRS Foundation Women's Fund enabled me to tour for the first time, and that was after my Gatekeeper EP was out. That also then enabled me to get some Arts Council funding, which further um, supported me finishing my album. At the point that it was, I was good to go, I get a call from someone, uh, Simon, Simon Drake, from a, an indie label called Name and saying, you look, look, I really want to be involved. We can, you know. And so he gave me his, his, his cell. I'm like, look, the train's moving, you know. But, you know, he, he persisted. And I, ironically, as it is, you know, two years in, he now is my manager, you know. But Simon got it. He was the first person that I met, you know, sort of with, from the industry face of things that literally on the phone described my career, described where I wanted to go. He described exactly, he knew exactly where I was 
And I mean, it, it really, it was very moving, actually. I felt like I was in partnership with this guy who just wanted to support my ideas alongside the funding bodies that were doing that. And really, the fruit of that year was me having a beautiful baby girl and actually releasing the album almost a year after that conversation. But, you know, having had time to settle into to motherhood and and having more support with how to release the record. I had three incredible producers that stood alongside me and respected the fact that I was a producer as well, you know. I think that's the only way it would have worked. The thing couldn't have just been done to me. In Matthew Herbert and David Akumu and Louis Hackett, it, it was it was the way in which they their measured approach of how to stand alongside me as an artist. I think that's the sign of a good producer, you know. They have a sense of what that artist needs to be taken care of. I mean, the day that I got the phone call saying, Esco, the album's been Mercury nominated, there was this huge sigh of relief and sense of vindication for my journey. Having been questioned so many times, Esco, when are you going to do this? Or Esco, you should be doing that. And all the voices, all the voices that were giving me suggestions or painting pictures of who I ought to be. To get that Mercury nomination for my own music and doing it in my own time, in my own way, was a real vindication that, yeah, I was the best person to answer this question. And it took the time that it needed for me to have the confidence in my, in my womanhood, to have the confidence in my musicianship, to have the confidence in my artistry. And I, honestly, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to the, the funding bodies that supported that. I'm right in the middle of recording at the moment. We had a, a weekend session with a band. Uh, so I've got over 30 doodles and ideas, which I need to hone down to. I don't know. I like the number 10. I, I hope I can create a, new, a body of work that will leave people wanting more or wanting to play it again. My first show will be the uh, 12th of April at Rich Mix in uh, Bethel Green, London, um, where I will be presenting bits of Magic Woman. Um, and then we'll have to figure out when it comes out. But I'm really excited about presenting Magic Woman, which is the title of the new album, with an all-female lineup and uh, my Magic Women as well. Yeah. Supposed to do. Oh, yeah. 
is Adventures in Sound at the Premises Studios. Well, there you go. Eska on Adventures in Sound. What a great story so far. That's it for this week. Make sure you subscribe on our podcast app to get the next episode. This has been Adventures in Sound. I'm Anne Frankenstein. This was a Folded Wing production. To hear more, head to foldedwing.co.uk. Thank you.